Thanks for listening to the New Life Church at Searcy podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're about to hear message audio from one of our weekend services, but before you do, just want to remind you, you can tap the link in the description or text Searcy to 88000 to get connected and stay up to date with what's going on on our campus at all times. You can give online, join a life group, or find more information about joining a serve team as well. You can also request prayer. We love praying for the needs of our church every single week. If you have a prayer request, tap the link in the description, or again, text Cersei to 88000 for more information. If you are new to us, we are in a vision series, and we have been in this series. We started the first weekend in October, and we're going to take this through the last weekend in October. So this entire month, we are talking about the vision and the mission of the local church, specifically our church, how, how you can connect to that. So if you've been here for a while, this is a good series for you. If you've only started uh, coming today, this is a good series for you. Uh, but to give you a recap, uh, week one, first weekend of October, our founding pastor, Rick Bazette, he showed a video message to all of our campuses around the state, and uh, he preached a message called, There is No Plan B. And it was basically like, hey, the, the, uh, the church is solid. It's moving forward. There is not a secondary plan. The church has always been God's plan. Let's invest in it. Let's sink our lives into it. Let's get passionate about it. And so it was just a wake-up call to say, hey, let's look at the church and its significance in every life that attends here. Last week, uh, we moved that on to talk about serving and uh, the church being more than a place, but it being personal. We talked about putting physical bodies in physical places, meaning we don't want to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. We want to be here on the weekend together to worship God. We want to be physically present in life groups. We want to physically serve our church, whether it be to pour coffee, park a car, teach a child, play an instrument, whatever it was, be a physical body in a physical place, and let's serve our church forward. So today, um, on week three of this series, it's kind of going to be a part two to last week, meaning it's going to have a big call and a big question to it about the significance of your life, not only in the physical world, but as it relates to eternity. And so that's going to be my challenge is for us to kind of take a bird's eye view or a look from 40,000 feet and look at, at our lives, what God's called us to, how we see the church your place in it for this particular era of time that we've been entrusted with the kingdom of God. So let me hop into that this morning. So science tells us that every single thing that we physically experience, specifically with our senses, including ourselves, is composed of one incredible substance, and that substance is the, the atom, the atom is so small that we will never see it with the naked eye. It is one ten millionth of a millimeter. To give you perspective of that, you could line up half a million atoms shoulder to shoulder and they could hide behind a strand of human hair. Since we don't live in a micro world, the thought of everything being composed of something so small 
eclipses and escapes us, just like the thought of what we received for Christmas last year. It's very, very difficult. And since as Christians we believe that all things are created by God, we then believe that it was God who, with his hands, took a handful of these atoms and in one breath he breathed into them and man became what it says in Genesis 2-7, a living soul. So God reaches in and he picks up these microparticles, breathes into them, and you and I suddenly are transformed under the breath of God. Immediately, those atoms in the hand of God had eternal significance. Suddenly, that handful of atoms had dominion and dimension. They had freedom. They had feelings. It had the thumbprint of God on it. And I say that because I want you to get the significance of your life. There may be some of you here today that are saying, man, I'm barely hanging on and I don't even know why I'm here, don't understand life, don't understand the purpose of it. I'm actually here this morning just trying to find an answer. And I would just tell you that there is something extremely unique and significant about you. I'm not sure when it happens, but... We get this truth that there is something significant and sacred about life. It comes to us like a ton of bricks. It's like hearing a hard knock on the front door of our homes. It startles you when you really understand that life is indeed precious. And it happens for all of us in different moments. For some of you, it happened in a classroom. You were being taught, and suddenly the lights went on, and you said, man, there's something really special about my life. For some, it may happen to you at a funeral. You understand death and the inevitability of dying or finality, and suddenly it hits you that your life, what you have left, is very precious and sacred. For some, it's at a graduation as you begin to look at what the next step for your life is. It hits you that what, that what you have is very, very sweet. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a theater. It can happen during an illness. It can happen in the deepest of depth and the highest of heights. And, but, but we know this. It happens to all of us. At some point, most of us really get it that what we are and, and what happened with us is very, very special. And so what happens is you realize that you've been given life, a big, ongoing, never duplicated, once-in-a-lifetime life. You are unique. There is no one like you. You will never walk down the street and see yourself. There's no one else on the planet with your specific personality, with your specific giftedness, with your strengths or your weaknesses. No one. And if this truth hits you hard enough, and it should, it results in a very defining question for every single one of us. And that question is this, what am I supposed to do with this life? It becomes a moment of meditation for all of us to go, what, what do I do with all this? Maybe you see a gift in yourself and you go, what am I supposed to do? With it? How do I take this and give it back? 
I mean, if, if, if my lifespan is of the median age of 75, what do I do with these precious years and breaths and heartbeat in order to have something of significance when I cross a finish line? What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, at times we boil it down to simple statements like, you know, I'm just here to serve God, right? At other times we complicate it to the point that we can't even explain it to a close friend. It's like, I got something so big and so deep and so visionary inside of me that I'm not even able to communicate it in words. It's, it's very hard for me to even tell you how I'm feeling about it or express to you what I feel like I'm called or purposed to do with my life. So, for some of you, you responded to this question of what am I supposed to do and you responded to it with familiar spaces and there's nothing wrong with that. But you stayed in familiarity. You took on a family business and maybe you took it to the next level. You followed a parent into medicine or education or law. For some of you, it wasn't like that at all. Your response to this question of what am I supposed to do with my life blazed new trails for you. You left home. You never looked back. You got married. You had kids. You started an off-the-path career. You shocked yourself. I want to give you a, a visual for this. So I want you to imagine a line drawn up here at, at the front, just in front of me. So just imagine just, just a, a, a line just drawn across this. Imagine that line to be 25 feet. And imagine on this end of it, we start with the life of Abraham. And on this end of that 25 feet is your life. If you begin to walk through this timeline, you say, well, this was, this was Abraham and this was David and this was the life of Christ and, and on and on and on. You, the, the width of your life on a 25-foot line is the width of a pencil. And so I want you to see just how, how quick, how fast in a, in a, in a context of of time, just from Abraham to now, how very quickly the days go by, how quickly our life passes. And it brings significance to that, doesn't it? Because then, then you say, well, what am I going to do with, with, with my life knowing that I've got that amount of time? What can I say to my kids? How can I pass this along? How can I help the church? How can I take something that I truly believe in that has eternal value and make a difference in it if my life is but the width of a pencil? Well, if you're like me, you've spent much prayer, you've sought scripture, you have a personal theology on how to answer this question. But today, I want to challenge every person in the place to do one thing, and that is this, to outlive your life. To do something that is so significant and something that is so big and something that is so deep inside of you that whatever you put your hands to moves forward without you. To outlive yourself. I want to challenge us to think in terms beyond the present. And there are a lot of people in today's culture, when we watch the, the news, when we see how culture is moving and shifting and it's uncomfortable and, and it, it goes against theology, we have, we have a lot of fear and we move into survival mode. 
So he said, I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of. I'm going to make sure my family is taken care of. And that is biblical responsibility. But then it ends there. And so what I want to do is pull us away from that again and realize there is an enormous picture unfolding before us. A grand mission that we get to be part of for just a moment of time. And so I want to pull us away from our bubble beyond the illusion of control into places you may never go and into faces that you may never see. So before we leave today, I want you to look deep at why you exist and how your existence impacts the lives of other people if you will choose to outlive yourself. And if you've never thought about legacy, that starts today. So the first thing I want to really flesh out with you this morning is this. To outlive yourself, you have to get over yourself. Turn to the person beside you and say, get over yourself. Okay, if you had been in a fight on the way this morning, that does not help you. I get it. Okay. To outlive yourself, you have to get over yourself. In 2002, and you all know this, but Rick Warren at Saddleback, he wrote a bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. It sold 50 million copies, one of the largest selling non-fictional personal development books in the history of publishing. And you want to know why? Because people want to know, what do I do with my life? It was answering a question that was just in the world, and it continues to be in the world. What am I supposed to do with this? How do I take what I have? How do I steward it? How do I pass it on? How do I empty myself? The first words of the first chapter start with four words, and it says, it's not about you. So he challenges them. You think this is all about you, but it's not. That on either side of this wit are other generations that have important things and problems to solve and people to speak to and lives to change and kids to raise on either side of it. He said, it's, it's not about you. It's about the big thing. It's about the eternal significance. This is why, this is what makes the church different than any other organization in the world. It's focused on the part of us that will never die. It's eternal in its value. But it's not about you. Second Timothy, when Paul writes this, he's challenging a, a young person. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, you've all read it, but he says this. Mark this. Okay, One, one version says, hear my words. There will be terrible times. And he says people are going to become lovers of themselves. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but I want you to just think about this. How many of you know someone who really, really loves themselves? Okay, do not wink, don't look, don't nudge that person, don't do it. How many of you know somebody who really loves themselves? It says they're going to be lovers of money. That, that, that that's going to become the most important thing. What I can get, what I can gather, what I can become, what people are going to say about me. My identity is all going to be tied up in monetary what I can possess, my, the, the image. He said they're, they're, they're going to love money. They're going to boast. All right? If you don't believe that now, go on any social media platform right now. 
It will not take you three or four different posts to find somebody telling you how great they are. They're going to boast. They're going to be proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That, that, that equates to this, a lack of respect. They're going to be ungrateful for what they've been given. Since they're going to be unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, no self-control, brutal, lover, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, that's hard talk right there. He said, Timothy, this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's going to be like in communities that you're in, trying to plant a church, trying to help people, trying to push the mission of God forward. This is a definition of the resistance. We desperately need godly men and women in our homes, in our community, in our church. We need godly people who have understood and captured what it means to have eternal significance. My life beyond this moment, my life beyond a hyphen that stand, has two dates on either side of it, there is so much more. Second, there's this great tension between our Christianity and our culture. Now, here's what I would say about this. This has always been. If you look up, at least as far as I can tell in church history, this has always been. The church has always been a wall standing between great theology and what culture wants everyone to just be like and participate in. The narcissistic epidemic and sense of entitlement in the Western world, I looked for words and synonyms, but the most I could come up with that sounded good was, it's ridiculous. The narcissism in government, in entertainment, in our families, with the perception of money, with what we expect from a career. And I'm not picking on, on anyone. It's going to sound this way, but I'm not. I just came across this when I was researching this this week. The number one question asked by millennials at a job interview was how much time off do I get? Can you imagine? Like you're spilling passion, you're a CEO, you want to make a great hire, you're talking, you're talking, you're sharing vision, you're like, so do you think you want to be a part of this? And they go, I got a question, how much do I not have to be here? Are y'all with me today? <laughs> okay. This, this, this is what's happening. The commercial of every product is about you and me. It's about you. Us. It's about what will make us thinner and more beautiful and jump higher to make us feel and look younger, to make us happy, to make us confident, to move us down the road of what we want. I couldn't help but think of the old Greek myth of Narcissus. So in Greek mythology, Narcissus was a hunter and he was known for being extremely handsome. And Nemesis, 
noticed this behavior and attracted him to a reflection pool. And when he saw his own reflection, Narcissus falls in love with it. And not realizing it was an image, he's unable to leave the attraction to himself. And he loses his will to live and stares at his reflection until death. Now, let's do a narcissism diagnostic test, okay? Here it is. Number one, I want, you to, I want everybody in the house to do this. I want you to take a moment and think about yourself. Go ahead. All right, step two. I want you to think about someone else. All right, here's the, 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 the diag diagnosis. If you made it to step two, you're not a narcissist. <laughs> y'all are pathetic today. I mean, y'all are just like, sleep is all you can get. Let me bring some word to this, okay? John 3.30, he says, he, talking about Jesus, must become greater and greater. Everybody say greater. And I must become less and less. Everybody say less. So he is greater, I am less. This is part of following Jesus. This is the ongoing process of, of transformation. I want less of me. I don't, want, I don't want more. I don't want the more stuff. I don't want the more title. I don't want the more thing. I, I, I don't want more popularity. I don't need more likes. What I need is more Jesus. And I need to become less and less and less. This is an easy assessment for us every year. Am I becoming more like Jesus and less like myself? In Galatians chapter 6, he says, If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Okay? Everybody turn to the person. I'm kidding. You are not that important. Okay, I'll say it for you. You are not that important. Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you should. He's saying, listen, there's a wake-up call here. He's saying, get a hold of yourself. Because it's easy in this world, this right now moment, that we have to say, I'm here for just a sliver of time. I'm but a vapor, and then I'm gone. So in this time, what can I get? What can I be? What's going to be, what's, what's going to be my fame? What's going to be my 15 minutes? That's the temptation. What God is calling us to do is saying, how can we take the most beautiful story in the world that has eternal value and roll it forward? That's the purpose. That's the goal, to use every gift you have, everything that is in you that makes sense to you, everything that you recognize in yourself that you did not drum up and work out and educate yourself on, but the Lord blessed you with it. He said, I want you to use that to roll it forward. Third, and this is very important, discomfort always points to eternal significance. When I'm spiritually being stirred, that's always an in indicator to me that the Lord is asking me to, to, to do something. When he's calling me out of comfort, 
it almost always has something to do with eternal significance. When he's asking me to believe more, to give more, or to do more. And I'm not talking about being out of balance and burnout. I'm talking about going from doing not much to doing something. Or doing nothing to doing something. To saying, I'm being called out of comfort and into eternal significance. We all have, and I want you to pay attention to me this morning, listen. We all have a thick shell that we all find pretty cozy. Some of our shells have luxurious leather interior, cup holders in all the right places, heated seats, comfortable amenity. All the bells and whistles that you've installed year after year after year of life, your life experience tells the story of the luxury you've surrounded yourself with. I'm only going to come so far. I'm only going to trust so much. I'm only going to believe so far. I'm only going to extend faith so much. And then there's still the temptation of, hey, I just, I want to be served. And who doesn't? Okay? If you've ever been to an all-inclusive resort, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because it would be pathetic. But you go to an all-inclusive resort, what do you do? Nothing. I believe I'd like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Tim, would you please get us a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Within minutes, there it is. And if it comes with extra creamy and you want it extra crunchy, back it goes to the kitchen with Tim. An all-inclusive resort, unfortunately, is not the kingdom. The kingdom requires us to roll up our sleeves, to take every tool that we have to impact people's lives for eternity. This is why Scripture teaches us about being a body. Somebody's got to be the hand. Someone has to be the foot. Someone has to be the eye. Someone has to be the ear. Someone has to be all of those things, and collectively you come together to do something amazing in that length of time that you get. This shell that we get in is so loaded with comfort that we stay there for weeks at a time basking in self-absorption. We turn up the music. We tune out the world. It protects us from the tears and the feelings of pain of those less fortunate. This shell is better than body armor. It's thicker than a tank. It separates you from others who are also God-breathed and just as unique and different as you. And when I am spiritually uncomfortable, God is asking me, why don't you come out of the shell and come into real life? Why don't you come out of that and feel the pain of single moms? Come out of that and feel the pain of special needs and surrounding parents and strengthening them and giving them support. Why don't you come out of that shell and see someone who's hungry and not in Africa, but right down the street? When we come out of our shell, we see the things we don't want to see. We hear the things we don't want to hear. And somehow we realize again the weight of this is it's our responsibility as a church to participate in those needs. 
And that requires all of us. The shell is very tough. Ezekiel 11, 19, he says, I'm, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Man, we need a new spirit. He says, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. A heart that's been calloused. A heart that's been so pain-filled, they don't want to be around people anymore. They just want it to be them and nobody else. He says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and it'll feel again. If you'll just come out of that shell. So I want to wrap up by going back to this big question of the message today. What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, I believe the truest answer and the most relevant answer I could give you would be to start by giving it back to the Lord. He said, well, Kevin, that's very ele elementary. Well, the gospel is easy. And my, my gut tells me that there could be people here this morning You've got, you've got the church thing down, you know. Like attendance is not a problem for you. Maybe you've prayed a prayer. But there are areas of your life that are not fully surrendered to God. And this is where the soil gets deep and rich. Is because you have to ask, what part of me have I not fully committed to Christ? What part of me have I not fully committed to Christ? Listen, my daughter could think I am the best dad in the world and me still have areas of my heart that are not fully committed to Christ. I could have people who are impressed with something I do or have done and me not be fully committed in my life to Christ. This is something only you and the Holy Spirit truly knows. What is left in you that is not surrendered to God? If you are a Christian today, this means a lot for you because I believe that Christ called us to make a difference. And just as he challenged those in the first century church to begin spreading the gospel in Jerusalem, our first job is to outlive ourselves right here at home. We can give of our finances, our resources to the people in this community who need help. We can give time, talent, treasure. And I say this boldly, but there are people right now in this room sitting beside you who have big need. This is their church. We need to meet those needs. Some of you have wrestled personally with, do I go to counseling? Do I go to counseling for me? Do I go to counseling for me and my family? Now is the time to do that. Do it. Come out of your shell and go. Some of you have lost sleep over hurting people, broken people, depressed people, people who share your story. Now's the time to connect for the church to be your church. Acts 13, this is one of my absolute favorite verses. I may have read this more as a finger pointing at myself than any other scripture. And it's this, Acts 13, 36. It says, and when David had served God's purpose in his own generation. 
he died. And I want you to leave, leave, leave that up, leave, leave that slide up. David did all the things. We see his story a lot from cover to cover. We see it from a, a bird's eye view. But David wrung himself out serving. And then he died. And he says, but the one whom God raised from the dead does not decay. And I love this because I think this is telling us this. Our job is to serve our generation fully, completely, empty yourself, ring yourself out for it. I want to cross the finish line well. I want to run the race well knowing that I served you, that I served this city, that I served my family, that I helped somebody. I want to cross the line. Whenever that line is, I want to cross it and have something inside of me know it, it was done well. I want to wring myself out for it. But what I put into the one whom God raised from the dead will not decay. It does not end that those who I've served pass it forward. The money that I've given goes forward. The prayers that I've prayed, they go forward. Listen, nobody promised you that the prayer you prayed would be, would be answered in this life. go forward. Everything you give, every chair you stack, every table you wipe down, every child we teach, every person we say good morning to, welcome to church. Every song that is sung does not end with our death. Why? Because it's placed into the one that he raised from the dead and he will not decay. What do you do with your life? Turn it over. I mean, surrender it. I mean, find a place. Find a place and empty yourself before the Lord. God, if there's any pride in me, if there's anything in me that's puffed up, if there's anything in me that's become boastful and the lover of money, if there's anything in me that is not like Jesus, empty that. Less of me, more of you. And let God use you that gift, that talent, that ability, that thing that you've got. Use it for the purpose of eternal significance. It is the best investment you're ever going to make. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me really quick this morning.